As most of you probably know, unless you're visiting, we've been doing a series through the book of Philippians, and uh, we're encountering today verses 12 and 13. We're just going to key in on those two verses, verses 12 and 13, but we'll back up for a little context to verse 5 and then read through verse 13. So we'll begin now. Philippians 2 and verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Let's pray. O oh God, as we come now to the preaching of your word, we ask that your Holy Spirit would give us insight, that you would give us eyes to see and to behold and to go away and to be doers of your word, not beholding only as the man looks in a mirror and walks away and no longer remembers what he looks like. Lord, give us eyes to see that we would not be dim, but quicken us by your Holy Spirit's power. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I'm not sure how far you would have driven in order to come here to this church building this morning, but chances are that you pass by some kind of a workout facility, some kind of recreation facility, a gym of some sort, some kind of recreation facility where people are running, they're doing treadmills, they're, they're doing all these different exercises in order to keep their body fit, in order to keep their bodies fit. And all across Canada, there's around 15,000 workout facilities that people go to. It's a $4.7 billion industry in our country an $80 billion industry worldwide. People trying to stay fit or get fit. And so that is something that we might think is important in our lives, though we don't want to make it, to, uh, we don't want to make it an idol of some sort. But our spiritual health is of infinite importance over our physical health. Yes, we want to maintain our physical body. It is the temple of the Holy Spirit, but yet our spiritual lives are much more important. And when we think about that idea of working out, we see that take place in this passage before us. And Paul tells us how we can work out, how we should work out in this world, spiritually speaking. And the first word that we encounter there is the word therefore in verse 12, therefore. And of course, he's pointing us back to the example that we saw of our Lord Jesus Christ, that example of love, self-sacrifice, humility that takes place in the life of the Lord Jesus here that Paul lifts up for us in this passage. Many people use a personal trainer when they work out, someone to show them the way, someone to show them the path that they need to go so that they don't injure themselves, so that they don't get hurt, so that they can work out properly. Someone who knows the factors of their body, all the different things, you know, their goals in working out in all these areas. And God knows all of our factors. God knows the way in which we should work out. And the Apostle Paul points us back to that example of humility, 
back to that example of love and self-sacrifice, that example that we should be following within the body of Christ. He wanted them to be like-minded in unity, and he wanted them to be lowly-minded in humility. And those are the lessons that we learned there uh, principally from the previous scripture. That, that example and that principle that the way up is the way down. That if we exalt ourselves, we can be sure that a fall is about to take place. The secret of Christian unity is humility. And we saw that uh, previously. But Jesus himself said, whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. The way up is the way down. Treating others as more important than ourselves. A very key principle in unity and humility within the life of the church. And I heard someone say this past week that the key to humility is to judge everyone to be less of a sinner than you are. Judge everyone around you to be less of a sinner than you are. That is humility within the context of the body of Christ. Being gracious with other people. Being forgiving with other people. Not holding grudges against our brothers and sisters in Christ. But keeping short accounts not only with God, but also with others around us. A very, very important thing. And he says to them here, As you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Imagine that commendation as you have always obeyed. The Apostle Paul was with them, but now he's not with them. He's in prison. And so he invites them to continue in the path that they've been going in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. To continue to walk in obedience, not when I'm looking, but also when I'm not looking. Because the reality in our lives is that God is always watching. Principally, God is always watching. And so whether someone is around, whether the boss is around, our teachers are around, whatever it is, we need to continue in diligence and to be obedient in those things. I can remember when I was a boy in elementary school, I'm sure none of you were like this. None of you were as bad as we were in elementary school. But when the teacher left the classroom, chaos would erupt. There'd be things thrown around, erasers, plasticine, wads of paper, whatever it was, spitballs, all the things. And of course, someone would take out the scissors and cut off the girl's locks in front of them. These different things that happen when the teacher is not in the room. Now, I may or may not have been that one that was cutting off the locks of the the girl in front. And some people were even worse. They'd put gum in the girl's hair. Uh, Maybe some of you girls had that and you had to go home and your mother cut your hair because you had gum in your hair. And I imagine that the teacher wasn't in the class when that was taking place. And then someone would yell, the teacher's coming. And everyone would put everything away and everything would be orderly again. We're not to live our lives that way. Just when the boss is watching us, we're on our best behavior or when our teacher's in the classroom or whatever it is. Because the reality is, is that God sees all, God knows all, and God is watching all. And so we need to be careful and diligent and continue to be diligent in the way that we are living. And the Apostle Paul is no longer with them, but Jesus is always with them. And God is always with us. And so we need to be careful. We need to live a life of honesty and a life of integrity. That can be very, very difficult in our age to live a life of integrity. There are so many things vying for our attention that are ungodly, that are unprofitable, that want to drag us down. And so we need to be careful that we have no hidden sins, that we are not leading a double life, 
but they were, we are open and honest with people, and we are open and honest and diligent to protect that before the Lord. Very, very careful. But then we also see here that we are to be active. We are to be active. It's one thing to think about working out. It's quite another thing to actually do it. And so that example of Jesus is to spur us on in our Christian lives. To spur us on. That's the reason why the example is given. That's the reason why the Apostle Paul holds up Jesus here. That we are to get to work and we are to work out our salvation. We are to work out our salvation. And that might sound very legalistic to our ears. What do you mean working and salvation in the same sentence? How can that be possible? We're saved by grace. We need to remember here that the Apostle Paul is not talking about justification. He's talking about our sanctification and how that gets worked out in the world. And Paul said, work out your own salvation. He doesn't mean that we need to do good works in order to earn our salvation. Very important to remember that. The cults are going to tell us that's what we have to do. The Jehovah's Witnesses are going to mark time on the street corner and knock on doors to mark down time because they want to earn merit and favor before God. And that's just a treadmill that they are on and they will never get to that place where they are good enough and we can never get to the place where we are good enough to be able to earn our merit and favor before God. It is solely and only an act of God's free grace whereby we are saved. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. And here we know that he's talking to saints. He says that in chapter 1 and verse 1. He calls them brothers in chapter 3 and verse 1 and 4 and verse 1. And here in this text, he calls them beloved. So he knows he's, we know that he's speaking to believers in this context. He's not talking about justification. He's talking about how we work out our salvation in this world. These are people already saved through faith in Christ's finished work on the cross. And he's not thinking of good works to contribute to salvation. We contribute nothing to our salvation, but the sin that required it. You've probably heard that saying before. That's our only contribution. We're sinners. We need to be saved. And God gives us that saving grace. And so we need to be careful that we read this in proper context of what's happening here. And so the one danger in reading this is to say that we have to work for our salvation. But there's also another danger in looking at this and being good biblical reformed Christians like we are and knowing that we are saved by grace. We have to be careful not to presume upon God's grace. Very careful. That's the other danger that we have here. We can say, hey, I've been in the church my whole life. I've been baptized. I've been catechized. What more do you want? And we can go on casually living our lives. But we must remember that the saving grace of God does not relieve me of my responsibility to be obedient. It enables it. It enables it. Because we are saved, we can be obedient. Before we became believers, before we were Christians, we could do nothing but sin. All of our good works, all of those things that we might perceive as good works, were as filthy rags before God. They didn't amount to anything. But now, as believers, those good works uh, become a way that we are working out our salvation. Regeneration gives us that new nature, gives us the, the ability to be obedient. It does not absolve us of being obedient. We need to continue on in obedience, and that's very important. We need to remember we are not working for our salvation. 
We are working out our salvation. Just hopefully to illustrate this point for you. About a month or so ago, I received, uh, delivered to my house, a new barbecue. A new barbecue. I'm sure many of you have had that experience before too. The new barbecue shows up, this huge big box. Everything that I need is in that box, including the instructions to be able to build that barbecue. It's all there. There's no question that I have everything that I need in that box. It is all there. And then you sit down with all of those parts and those pieces and the instructions and you you go through and you sit there and wonder, boy, how is this all going to go together? How am I going to put this together? You've got to block out a big chunk of time in order to put this thing together. And that's a little bit of what it's like when we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have everything that we need, but yet over time we work through those things. We work out those things in our lives, and it takes the rest of our lives to do that. And we lean on the instruction manual as we're going through that in order to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. But that's a little bit of what it's like. It takes our lifetime to work out our salvation. And that is part of the wonder and the joy of salvation is that it takes a lifetime of experiences to work out our salvation. And we may have been saved in an instant. We may have been justified in an instant. And that is true. That's a true biblical principle of justification. But we work out our salvation, sanctification, over the course of time. We discover things as we go. We have joys. We have sorrows. And all of those things are working out our salvation. We work out of us what God has worked in us. That's basically what it means to work out our salvation. We work out of us what God has already worked in us. And the fact that God gives works for us to do is not debatable. If you know the passage in which all of you should know Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10, you know that verse 10 says this, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We've been created for good works. We've been saved for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, God has set you on a path and he's given you good works to accomplish. He's gifted you and he's given you good things to do throughout your life in order to fulfill all of those things that he has planned out and mapped out for us. And that leads to our next point. We are to work out our own salvation. We see how personal it is. We don't work out another person's salvation. We work out our own salvation, not everyone else's. So God has plans and purposes for all of us, and we spend our lives fulfilling those plans and purposes. In our salvation, in our salvation, God gives us, takes away the greatest evils that we have, and gives us the highest good. He takes the greatest evil, gives us the highest good. Romans 5.8, but God commends his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. We've been brought out of the greatest evil and we've been given the highest good. Salvation is ours personally. We are to work out our own salvation. It's personal, but yet it's lived out corporately within the body of Christ, within that context of the body. And that has positive aspects and it has negative aspects. Positively, we have the means of grace. We have the word, prayer, sacraments. 
We practice the one another's within the body. We pray for one another. We encourage one another. We love one another. All of the one another's that the scriptures talk about, very positive things. And we need the church. There's no debating it. We have to flourish within the context of the church. We can't do it on our own. The church is vital in working out our salvation. But there is a negative thing that comes along with it. We are sinners. And we are in the body of Christ with other sinners. And so there are interpersonal problems that arise within the body of Christ. And that, we need to remember the context in which Paul is writing here. He's talking about unity and purity, the peace and purity of the church, humility, living a life of humility within the context of the church, all of these things going together here. And many of our problems come not when we're looking ahead, not when we're looking to the Lord, but when we're looking around when we're judging other Christians, when we're gossiping, when we're slandering. So many problems get created in this way when we're not being unified and not living a life of humility, when we're no longer being careful about the things that we say, careful about the things that we're thinking about our brothers and sisters. We need to guard that. We need to guard our minds first. We need to guard our tongues second because out of that, out of our mind, out of our hearts are going to come all those different things of of impurity that we allow to rise out. So the important thing here is that that salvation is personal. It's personal. We are to work out our own salvation. I can't work out your salvation and you can't work out mine. We have to work out our own salvation. That doesn't mean that we don't shepherd people or guide people or help people or lead people, encourage people, all those things in the faith. We need to do that. But, But we labor for the good of others so that those others can continue to work out their salvation over the course of their lives. So God gives us the greatest evil. We receive the highest good and we spend our lives working that out within the context of the church. We do that in unity and in humility. We are to work out of us what God has already worked in us. And then also we see here that we are to work out our salvation with fear and with trembling, with fear and trembling, reverence and awe before God. It's something that is virtually lost within our Christian context these days, having reverence and awe for God. It seems to be a lost thing from ages ago, but yet we need to remember that. And Paul reminds us of it here, that we need to work out our salvation with fear and with trembling. We need to be conscious of him continually, that we do not offend him the way that we think, the way that we live. We can't be like the, the child who's in the classroom and the teacher's gone. And so we have disruptive behavior. We have to remember that whatever we do, we do heartily as unto the Lord and not for men. <clears throat> so fear and trembling means living out our faith with a deep reverence and awe for God. We must revere God. The Lord says, but on this one, I will look on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit. That's humility. And who trembles at my word. So reverence and awe for God, very important aspect of what the Apostle Paul is teaching us here. Having that fear and that trembling, and it demands of us a thinking and a willing and a feeling and a doing of everything that is honoring to God, that we live a life of obedience. And as difficult as working out our salvation might seem, we need to remember another key thing that the Apostle Paul tells us, that we are not alone in doing it. 
We are not alone in doing it. For as God who works in you, God operates and we cooperate with the Lord. And we see this principle all over the scriptures. You'll remember in John chapter 5, Jesus goes to the man at the pools of Bethesda. And the man has been there for 38 years. He cannot walk. And he's hoping to get into these healing pools and he can't do it. He can't get there. No one will help him. And he's just there. After 38 years, Jesus comes to him and says, pick up your bed. What a ridiculous thing to say. The man hasn't been able to get up in 38 years. But what happens? The man gets up and picks up his bed. And he's able to walk. Jesus divinely heals him right there. In the passage that uh, Steve read for us earlier, 2 Peter 1, we see there in verse 3 that Peter reminds his, his readers that we have everything that we need for life and godliness. Everything that we need for life and for godliness. That is God's part. The Lord gives us everything that we need to live a life of godliness. He gives us everything. We've got it all. Just like that package came to me. It had everything in it. We've got everything. And then in verse 5, that passage says, make every effort. We've got it all. Make every effort. We're to work it out. God gives us everything, and then we are to be active and working. That's our part. It took me three hours to put that barbecue together. It wasn't going to put itself together. All those parts and pieces had to be worked out. We need to make every effort. We've got everything, but yet we are to make every effort. And we see this principle repeated over and over and over again in the scriptures. And the point is simply this, that God gives the command, and then along with the command, he gives the grace to fulfill the command. God is never going to ask us to do something that he's not also with that going to give us the power to fulfill that command. Isn't that amazing? God is never going to ask you to do something that you cannot do. We might sit back and look at a task and think that that is great and it's a mountain. How are we ever going to accomplish it? We can be sure if God has asked us to do it, that we can do it. We can accomplish it. Nothing is impossible with God. God will give us, along with that command, he will give us the fulfillment of that command. He gives the grace. It's amazing, amazing principle that we see worked out here. He works in you. He works through you. He works for you, all in accordance with his plans that he's foreordained beforehand for you to walk in. God is at work in us. God says, it's my pleasure to make you active. I don't want you to drift. I don't want you to be lazy in your Christian life. God wants us to be active in our Christian lives. He wants us to be useful. He wants us to live in reverence and awe and to not be careless in the way that we are living. Now, how can we apply these things with the time that we have left? There's many different things that I wrote down in going through this, but I keyed in on just three of them for you. Did you know that 80% of people that have a gym membership within five months, they no longer go? 80% of people. Now, maybe that started off as a New Year's resolution and through January, they were doing great. February, March, April, within five months, 80% of people have given up. They're no longer going to the gym. 
They're paying for a membership that they're not even using. Question is, why? Why do 80% of the people give up? Well, the answer is pretty obvious. It's hard work. It's difficult. There's so many things that are so much easier. I started running again this past week after taking a few months off, and I'm sore. My legs are sore standing here. I can feel it. It's hard work, but you've got to be diligent and stick at it. That, that is the principle that we need to apply in our spiritual lives. The world, the flesh, and the devil are relentless against us. Against us. Everything conspires against us. And we get discouraged by the lack of progress that we see in our spiritual lives. And so the tendency is to slack off. To want to give up. To not be careful about the way that we are living. Being a Christian is hard, hard work. Ease and comfort is so much more enticing than it is to walk in obedience to the Lord. And I want you to be encouraged, greatly encouraged, by verse 13 and that realization there that God is at work in you. God is at work in you even when you aren't at work. Even when you are not praying. Even when you are not doing your devotions. Even you are not, when you are not being careful, you're being careless in the way that you're thinking or acting. God is at work, always, relentlessly, for our good. Our Christian lives are a little bit like those construction sites that we drive by. You know those ones that are shrouded in plastic? You can't see the building anymore. They got the big blue fence around. The place is a complete mess and a disaster. Several months later, we drive by and the plastic's gone, it looks beautiful, it's great. Our Christian lives are a little bit like that. God is the unseen workman behind all of that plastic, working away, chipping away, hammering away for our good, relentlessly, always persevering with us, continually. We might be a total disaster sitting here this morning. We might not look like anything, but on that day... When all that plastic is removed, we will be glorified and we will be a work of God. The unseen workman will do his work and he will be relentless in doing his work. He will accomplish all of the plans that he has for us. Day by day, year by year, week by week, he will be relentless within our lives, working away continually. And I want you to be encouraged because some of us are here and we have great things going on in our lives. We have sorrows, we have hurts, and I want us to be comforted by the fact that God is always with us. And though things might be dim right now, we might not understand what's happening right now. We might be asking why right now. But one day, all those questions will be answered and we can be comforted by John thirteen seven, where Jesus says, what I am doing, you do not understand. But afterward, you will understand. What God is up to sometimes we don't understand. We are very confused by it, but yet God's purposes will always be at work. They will be for our good and for his glory continually. God says, don't worry. I've got this. I'm in charge. Trust me. And doesn't that really come down to to it? We need to trust God. Do we trust the Lord with all of those things, with all those hidden hurts, with all those sorrows, with all those things on good days and on bad days? Do we trust the Lord continually? God works away continuously. He never loses his patience with us. 
He never gets frustrated by us. He perseveres with us continually and always. So don't be discouraged. Don't lose heart in your Christian life. And the second thing I would say is get started. Get started. Start today. So many people have good intentions. 70% of Canadians say that they would go to the gym if they, if, if they could only go to the gym, they would. Statistically, that's, that's not true, but people say that. Good intentions. People have all kinds of good intentions. Do you know what good intentions are worth? Absolutely the same as no intentions. It's the same bottom line. Nothing happens by having good intentions. We have to get going in our Christian life. God works continuously and we are to be at work continuously. And we can see the word here in verse 12, halfway through there, now, so now, a present continuous. It's all present and continuous in this passage. The apostle Paul was always forward thinking. He was always relentless in pursuing the Lord and we need to be as well. Now is the time. Tomorrow is always the devil's times table, right? Tomorrow is the devil's timetable. He always wants us to do things tomorrow. Uh, Tomorrow I'll read the Bible. Tomorrow I'll pray. Tomorrow I'll do this. Tomorrow I'll share Christ with my neighbor. Tomorrow I'll give up that pet sin. No, we are to confess. We are to forsake now. Today is the day of salvation. We We need to be about today, not about tomorrow. We'll let God take care of tomorrow. And we'll do walk in obedience today before him. We have a new nature. We've been regenerated. We've been quickened and alivened. We are no longer dead in our trespasses and sins. And that means that we have power over sin. By God's grace, with the Holy Spirit's help, we have power over sin. And so we need to be careful that we are being fruitful in our lives, that we don't allow those those weeds and all those things to crowd out and encroach upon a life of fruit-bearing. We need to bear fruit in our Christian lives. And sometimes I think if we look at a garden, we see it all overgrown. And perhaps one time it was flourishing and it was bearing uh, vegetables and fruits and all these different things, but perhaps the owners have let it go. And year after year, it just gets worse and worse and worse. And perhaps you might be sitting here this morning and that is a picture of your heart. That over time, so many things have encroached. And there's so many weeds that are crowding out the fruits and the vegetables, the fruit bearing that should be there. And we are at drift in our Christian life. Drifting is a terrible place to be in your Christian life. A very dangerous place to be. Hebrews 2 verse 1 says, We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. Drifting is easy. It requires no effort at all. It's not hard at all. You just coast along and you drift. Drifting is very, very easy. We need to wake up and we need to start tilling. We need to start uh, turning over that soil again, plucking up all those weeds, all those things that are crowding out all of that fruitfulness. Drifting leads to distance between us and the Lord. Always. Drifting always leads to distance. And the last thing I would say is, don't be discouraged. Get started today. And then thirdly, live for the glory of God. Live for the glory of God. We are not our own. We've been bought with a price. Therefore, we are to glorify God with our bodies. The goal and aim of all of our living and working out our salvation is the glory of God. 
That's what we should be living for. We exist for God's good pleasure, to will and to do for his good pleasure. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We get God's good pleasure forever. I think of the verse uh, this morning, I just thought of this verse that came to mind, Luke twelve thirty three, where Jesus says, it is my father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. An amazing verse that Jesus gives us. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We live for God's glory and we get God's pleasure forevermore. What an amazing truth. We are to will and to do. We're to will and to work for God's good pleasure. And we see that that is exactly what our Lord Jesus Christ did. The book of John, many different places. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. It's no wonder that the Apostle Paul holds up our Lord Jesus Christ as the great example for us of humility, submitting his will to the Father. And it's no wonder that he, being very God of very God, was highly exalted and given that name above every name. And so we are to humble ourselves and submit our will to the Lord's will, to will and to do for his good pleasure. For God's glory, that is the goal of working out our salvation. In 1 Peter chapter 4, and I'll close with this, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. You see there, God is at work within you. It's the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We work and God gets the glory. Let's pray. Oh God, we pray and ask now that as we've read your word, as your Holy Spirit applies your word to our lives, we pray that you would help us to live out our salvation with fear and with trembling, all for your glory's sake. In Christ's name, amen.